This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. Later on, we will be discussing the services Stephen offers and where you can find him. Hello and welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast that discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Kathy Reed, And I'm Scarlett Maltman. And this week we are joined by the lovely Ella Gilling. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not too shabby. It's a Sunday in early January. This is our first interview of 2019 that we are recording. So it's all go. It's quite exciting. Indeed, indeed. So how about a little game? Do you fancy a wee game, Ella? Right, go on Scarlett. So we're going to play the word association game. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay, three, two, one, go. Strawberries. Milkshake. Christmas. Lights. Prada shoes. Heels. Cup of tea. Yes, please. Health. Awareness. Dancing. Fun. The next step. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, yes. Filming. Absolutely love it. This industry. Mind-boggling. Capizio flesh-coloured pants. Absolutely in love. Oh yeah, oh yeah, amazing. So Ella, when did you first set your eyes on performing? Can you give us um, just a little insight into about your life, a little bit about you for listeners who might not know who you are? Yeah, so I started dancing when I was around eight, but it kind of got really serious when talked to my parents and I was like I really want to do this as like a career I know I was really young but I was like I just love it so much came up to London auditioned for Italia Conti auditioned I think I auditioned for Sylvia Young just a bunch of them really um then I got accepted and they literally changed their lives for me um which I will forever be grateful for um we moved up to London we stayed in a motorhome for a year And then we had to sell it and then we started staying in travel lodges, like had to change each night, go to a different hotel. We were literally living out of car. People probably thought we were like legit homeless. Um, And then after a while, my cousin bought a flat. So we moved into it. It was literally opposite um, my college. Then I literally did, you know, year 11. And then I went on to college. And I think I just realized it was an actual career for me when I hit probably college, 16. I'd just come out of a job and I was like, I cannot, I don't think I could not do this. People just do it for fun. People just do it because they enjoy it. And I get that. And I love that people do. But when I was through school, I was like, I enjoy it and it's fun. And when I hit 16, I was like, I can't imagine my life without this. I think I I literally broke my ankle, I think, in year eight. And I was livid. I was like, yeah, I, I think I was in a cast for about nearly a month and I was like it was still stretching still dancing in my cast but I was like this is probably probably yeah Porter Brown plies um and honestly it came to a point where I was like I now need to start helping others and opening it up to for other people to realize how much it's amazing and how it can help and it helped me so much with just dealing with life whether it was whether I suffer with anything or not you know life in general for kids growing up can be so hard and it just really distracted me every time I was in a studio every time I was singing or in a class acting playing games like I was just escaped um so when I was around 16 I was like this is what I need to do and then as soon as I graduated it's just been auditions and jobs and just trying to keep it fun as well like trying not to let it get too serious yeah. don't take yourself too seriously guys <laughs> but yeah and that's pretty much it so let's just talk about Italia Conte um because I first became aware of you when I was at Conte and you were a junior and everyone was like oh my god have you seen that junior she's amazing she's the most incredible dancer if you haven't seen her go check her out she's amazing but I was just like oh my gosh um and obviously, we, we all knew your mum because she worked, she worked at Conte. It was absolutely brilliant. She was, oh my God, she was just amazing. Um, but you were, you were really young when you went into juniors. What, what, what age were you? I was 11 when 11. I first started, yeah. Gosh, 11. So let's just chat about that time because it, it was quite long as well, wasn't it? it? The junior course at Conte. And for those of you who don't know too much about it, it's basically um, where you can still do your A-levels and exams and stuff, but do 
do all the arts and creative stuff on on kind of on the side as yeah. as you like it's a bit like Sylvia's but Italia Conte yeah. so let's just chat about that because it's a like you say it's a very young age to start and especially do, going from such a huge a huge move like your whole family just moved moved away for you it's incredible yeah, so um yeah so when I was 11 we it was me my mum and my dad we moved up to London and yeah I was 11 and it, it was it was a massive move for me I don't think I quite realized I think I was just like oh I'm going to school and I didn't think how much I would miss being home and when I I obviously I live in Cornwall and it's a very quiet peaceful beach fields and then I obviously came to London and I was like cars people noise I don't know I don't know what it's what's happening um but it was a big move and obviously I have two other sisters and a brother so for my parents she he they obviously left them in Cornwall so obviously my sisters had to live on their own um bear in mind they were you know 16 17 or 16 and 18 um so they you know it was kind of like an okay time for them to be left but it was a big thing for my parents because they were like my other babies um but it was a big move and it was a lot to deal with when it came to the mentality of it all because you meet so many um, big personalities in your year so obviously for me I'm not saying I was a big fish in a little pond by any means when I was training in Cornwall but it is quite a small little village so like you do you know there's only a certain amount of people in your school and then you go to a performing arts school and it's like everyone there's like you everyone loves dancing and everyone loves singing and you're like oh this is a bit kind of daunting um but it was hard and I think I wouldn't have coped unless I had my parents, obviously. And there were people there that kind of, you know, you make friends and, you know, all the, the staff were lovely and they obviously understand. But the workload was mental, like, because you don't, as you just said, like, you you have half the day academics, half the day dancing, singing and acting. And you don't just have to worry about academic work you have to worry about learning scripts and learning songs and having your ballet exam and remembering all the syllabus and I think I almost forget I almost forget how much it was because it was just kind of I had to do it there was no yeah yeah, there's no choice I had to had to make sure I got through the day and it was hard but having a routine and almost getting home doing your academic homework and then on the weekends you learn your scripts and you make it fun you have to enjoy it um but it was a lot and it was obviously five years. So it was literally, so I was 11 to 16, did my GCSEs. And it's, it's a lot of, a lot of time you grow up in that time. Mm-hmm. So like I spent my whole, basically my whole childhood finding, like going from a little girl to a woman in this building. Like obviously I went on to the college, but age 11 to 19 is a massive time when you go through so much, like, Never mind hitting hitting puberty, which is a massive thing. Yeah. It's it's alone like just being around those kind of people, mm-hmm. and dealing with the competition, and like oh I'm not good enough. Oh I didn't get the part, and having that thick skin to be like well you know I just didn't get the part. Maybe next time I will. Like yeah. it is finding that you know you have to just you have to give yourself a bit of a break. <laughs> but it was it was fun. It just was hard. <laughs> So obviously, as you've just said, you were at Conti for eight years, which is a very long time, over your teen years as well. And as you said, you change so much during that time. Um, so let's get it on to mental health. Did you experience any mental health support whilst training? And were you clued up on your mental health whilst you were there? I think places like performing arts places, I think, expect it to be a little bit harder because it's actually a large percentage of people in this industry that actually suffer with it because we're creative most creative people do suffer with mental health because it's almost like that's their escapism is to do that because it helps them um I want I really want to say yes and I really want to be like everyone was really understanding but I kind of felt a little bit lost I didn't feel like there was a person that I could talk to that could understand it and if there was it was like go to the welfare officer and the person that would be the welfare officer I wouldn't feel comfortable talking to and it'd be really hard because when you're in that industry it's hard to trust people and that sounds so bad but it's hard because you're always in competition that you feel you find it hard to find the right kind of people that you can trust with such a sensitive matter and I think when I was so young I didn't quite understand it when I was like in school I just thought I cried and I thought and I thought like oh I'm feeling really down and oh I'm not very good at dancing I didn't quite quite understand what I was going through um and there wasn't really anyone I could talk to and the only person that I've ever really been able to rely on in my life 
is my mommy um, and is good old mommy girls. She has been the best person that I could ever have because she, again, understands what I'm going through because she's suffered with similar things and then she's helped me through it. But when it comes to school, I think you can't really say this is the person you talk to because sometimes that's not who you're comfortable talking to and you can't almost force kids to do that because they will talk who they're comfortable with, especially when you're younger. And when I got onto the college, it was it was mainly the actual like jazz teachers that would help or the ballet teachers that would help. It wouldn't necessarily be the welfare officer because they wouldn't be as creative or understand your mindset as much. So I could, you know, we had self-assessments and when you had self-assessment time, you'd go sit in a chair and a table and they'd be like, so are you all right, how are you doing? And you could share how you were feeling. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think because I felt so secluded, I felt like they didn't really care. They just wanted to make sure that all their kids were all right. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, okay. Like, you know, they, and I, I know it sounds like such a sensitive su- subject, but they wanted to make sure you weren't on the verge of hurting yourself. And if you were anything less than that, it didn't really matter because everyone was suffering with feeling a bit homesick. Everyone was suffering with feeling a bit down. You know, if you don't get a part, it's, you know, it's okay that you're feeling sad. They didn't quite understand that it was a, there is an in-between line between feeling sad and feeling like you're wanting to commit suicide. There is, there is that gray area where a lot of people do not understand and it is equally as suffering because it's almost harrowing on your brain. It's almost like an argument in your head all the time. So I want to say, yeah, I want to say there was people and there was some, but I don't think there was enough of it for me to feel like it was okay to feel like it. So just going off what we just spoke about, um, how is your relationship with mental health just now? Um, Talk us through your journey with mental health. So when, as I said, when I was younger, I don't think I quite understood it. I think I just thought I was a bit different and I thought that I was a burden and I thought that I just didn't have friends because I didn't get along with people. And I think the reason why is because because I didn't understand it, in no way would they ever understand it. So I didn't find my people and I didn't have anyone. I felt alone. I felt angry and I didn't quite realise what was happening. Um, and I think I, I took all of that on board and the reaction I was getting from people would be considered bullying because they didn't understand. And I, I'm not saying that I pity them or I understand them because I think bullying is really wrong. But I also understand that there's a lack of communication and a lack of um, awareness with younger kids. And that's why when I ever, I own a dance school and when I teach my kids, we try and always keep it very open and very understanding and try and encourage them to realise it from a young age because that's what really affected me. Um, when I got into college, I started realising it a little bit more. And then when I got into third year, it was probably... My second and my third year of my college was probably the worst years of my life so far. A lot of personal stuff happened, along with my mental health being on a really bad note. And my mum was like, you have to go and see someone. You have to get professional help because on her behalf, she was like, I can't help you anymore. Like, I'm your mum, so I hate seeing you like it as it is. And I'm giving you advice, but you don't want to hear it from me because, you know, I'm your mum and, you know, telling you to do something. And I'm like, no. But she's like, if you go to someone, then you can realise that it's not just in your head. You're not just, you know, sometimes I just think, oh, Ella, get over it. You're not dying. Or Ella, get over it. You're not like suffering from starvation in Southeast Asia. Do you know what I mean? So for me, I was like, that's what was going through my head. It means nothing. And then I went to, I did like a mindfulness thing, which wasn't really a course. It was just like a couple of night classes. Um, And it was just all about listening to people. It was all about like understanding and no judgment. And I, it, I didn't go for long. It wasn't like my thing that I needed to concentrate on. I know some people rely on it and it is, it was good for me to open my eyes up because it was almost about that you need to now yourself try and help other people understand and be aware of it and almost help them Mm -hmm. to help you in a way. Um, But yeah, and I lived here on my own after I graduated and it was it was extremely bad like panic attacks in the in the bathroom of where I lived because I didn't want them to know that I was crying and my mum being on the phone and her not being able to do anything and then I felt bad because she couldn't help me and it was just oh my god it was just not cute for anyone to go through um so she was like look come home like you can't do this just come home and try and recuperate and like gain some ground and we'll we'll get you through this and we'll help you and and your family can help you and so I went back home and it was probably the best thing I could have done. And I didn't want to. I was like, I failed. I failed as an actress. I failed as a dancer. I failed as a performer because I'm going back home. 
Um, but it was literally the best thing I could have done. I've been more productive in my life since I've been home than when I was in London. I would say for the eight years, but that would probably, you know, when I was at college, I was successful in shows and things like that. But I'm saying like mentally and with my life, I went home. I took a couple of months just to kind of breathe and get back to me. I didn't feel like myself because I was just worrying every single day, losing sleep, mm-hmm. like, you know, breakout skin. Like I, I was aching. It was, it was everything. It kind of affected my whole body. Um, and then, you know, I got a job. You know, we we rebranded our school and I did charity shows and I'm ambassador for a new charity down in Cornwall. And I just tried, I tried to make my, I tried to make my energy go in a different way. Like, how can I help, how can I make what I'm going through help other people? So then I started talking on social media more about mental health and started saying like, look, people, everyone goes through this. Whether you look up to them, whether they're famous, whether they're your next door neighbor, whether they're your sister, everyone goes through it. I did a project um, for in um, Invictus Trust, which is a trust in Cornwall, which is to help kids, mainly teenagers, with mental health and awareness. Um, and it was just all about kind of just feeling like no one really understands you and no one really gets it. But it was all about my family and how all I need to do is have a conversation and all I need to do is all they need to do is listen, and that helps. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes is all you need is all you need is someone to listen. Sometimes all you need is someone to be like, yeah, that's shit. That's really bad. And I'm sorry. And then if someone says that to me, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I just start crying. Because <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Um, but it, it took a very long time and I'm still suffering with it now. And on a day-to-day basis, it literally takes little phone calls with my mum or it takes watching a stand-up comedy act just to get the fun and the laughter back into your life if you're feeling so low. But... I don't think I'll ever get rid of it. I don't think it'll ever go. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's almost accepting the days when you feel like that mm-hmm. and being like, there's nothing I can do right now that's going to change it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wallow in self-pity, but I also, if I do, that's not the end of the world because if you pick yourself up the next day, okay. you're okay. Yeah. Something Kathy said, say, own your mental health. Yeah. <laughs> own, it. own it. Make it a part of you rather than make it something that you're scared of because yeah. there's a lot more people that go through it than you think. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you said there is a really interesting point about going home um, and how you said, ah, I failed as an actress. Um, because it's just, if you think, if you take a step back and look at it, London life is so hard. We're paying, what, like 600 and beyond for rent or doing four muggle jobs a week to, to pay those bills and having to go to class and all this to feel productive. When actually, if you just go home like I know so many people from Scotland that are doing exactly the same as what I am they get the train down or a bus down for additions and they go back up or they do a self-tape and actually it's not that bad I think if you want to go home and relax and be around people and things that are going to make you happy and just breathe a bit then do it there's absolutely nothing wrong wrong with that I literally fully agree with everything you just said because that is everything I felt. As you said, I felt like I was going to fail, but then I was like, actually, now I have now I have my muggle job, but like I did do I had like loads of self tapes. I didn't even realize that that is being successful in the sense of you're getting through the door, you're getting a self tape. You have to do something that is productive. Plus on top of that, you know, my agent would call me and say, "You have an audition tomorrow." And I'd be like, "Okay." And then with my money that I'm earning, I was like, great, I'll put it towards a train. Got up at, I know it's early mornings, but to be honest, it's worth it. Got up early morning the next day, got a train, arrived here, did the audition, stayed at a friend's, did a class, came back the next day and went home. It's like, if I was in London, I'd still get that job. Mm-hmm. Like, not the job, sorry. I still get the audition. Yeah. I still get the audition. I still get the self-tapes. It's just, I would, when, if I stayed here, I'd be struggling. Yeah. Whereas when I'm at home, I'm not. And I miss out on little projects with people. I miss out on things that are fun. But when it comes down to the be on end of, of your actual career and big auditions, you'll make it work. Yeah. My dad, in the end, he always says, like, you know, Ella, you might not have much, but money is money. Like, get a train. Yeah, hopefully, if you get the job, it will cancel it off. Yeah, <laughs> like, do you know, always make more money. But yet these opportunities in your life, like, you don't want to let it pass you by. You need to make sure that you grab those opportunities. And don't ever, for me, I, I need... I let my mental health get in the way for even just, even if it was a month or two months, there's people that let mental health get in the way for the years and their life. Yeah. And like, it took me, it took my mum, it took my family to 
get me back to reality and I think if you're not lucky to have that and if you're not and then you have friends if you're not lucky to have friends there's people out there that always want to help Mm -hmm. and I know people lose hope people are like no everyone's awful it's like I promise you Mm -hmm. we're not there's been some genuinely lovely people out there still and I know they're hard to find but you know you two are and my mum is and my family are and my friends are and I think all of them and all the people that I know wouldn't bat an eyelid to helping just a random person so there's always someone So as we said at the start of the podcast, we are gratefully sponsored by King Manual Therapy. Stephen is a manual therapist who specialises in myofascial release and Scarlett and myself are both here with him at his clinic today. Hello Stephen. Hi Scarlett, how are you feeling after your treatment? I feel really, really good. I had quite a lot of back tension and neck tension, I think you would say. Stephen just kind of shuggled me all up. That's a technical term. (laughs) So it was something that I wanted to start in 2019 in order to look after my mental health as I carry quite a lot of stress around my body. Um, And Stephen's clinic is such a supportive, safe and funny atmosphere. He offers top banter as well throughout his treatments. It's been a really great thing to do in 2019 for me. And I went for a vocal massage last week and having put off going for vocal massages for years because I've heard about how painful they are, I can confidently say that it was completely pain-free and I felt so much better after it. And I think that there is a big link between looking after your mental health and looking after your physical health as well. So Stephen, if people would like to begin with you, where can they find you? So you can find me at kingmanualtherapy.com and there's a whole little booking system there. You can just schedule, come and see me, come say hi. We'll work out what we can do. And um, you can find me on Twitter. You'll find me, King Manual Therapy, and uh, Instagram, also King Manual Therapy. I feel like that's really unimaginative. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you check it out. So for those of you that don't know, Ella shot to fame um, when she appeared on The Next Step. Um, And as we mentioned before, is the most beautiful dancer that I've ever bloomin' seen. Um, But before all that, you were on School for Stars and you were on Got to Dance. Um, So let's just chat about all of that because you've got a hefty following on social media. I think it's over 42.8 thousand so you've got a huge following of especially young people. So let's just chat about, let's go back, let's rewind and go back to where it all started on TV. Yeah, so the TV part was daunting at a young age. So I, I went on God's Dance when I was 12. So that's the first kind of TV thing I had. Um, I went on with my parents and I got interviewed and my parents got interviewed. Um, and then obviously like filmed me warming up and filmed me going on stage. Um, and oh my God, I mean... I don't want to be embarrassed by it because everything that you do is part of your journey, yeah. right? But saying that, <laughs> I think I regret the hair choices. <laughs> I think I regret the costumes. <laughs> I want to watch it. <laughs> but honestly, yeah, I was yeah. 12 and I think everyone has to go through that stage. And I think it might be embarrassing. I have a video on YouTube to show you how Amazing. But that's why I think I need to keep them as memories and be proud of it. For so long, I was actually too embarrassed. And now I'm actually like, no, there's no point being embarrassed by it. It's me. It's myself. I express myself through the way that I wanted to. Um, You know, I had odd socks and odd shoes on and I was like, this is cool. And like shaved one part of my hair and like long bit. And I was like, I'm really awesome. Um, But it was really fun. And it really opened my mind up to the way that it works because I did... You know, I did the first stage, I got three gold stars, really good comments. I was like, yay. And then I got through to the semi-final, which was bonkers because it's live, which I've never done before. So obviously the whole thing was live. So in my head, I was like, I, I was used to doing... I don't know, like I was used to being young and doing little shows, but having rehearsals, 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 feeling really secure. Even though I had like private rehearsals to make up my dance, it was like you get one performance to get through to the next round and you're like oh my god like it's freaky but it was really good fun I met some really lovely people on there um and Kimberly Wyatt came over to our travel lodge room to give me give me the um (laughs) give me the like results of it whether I got through or not and she came in and I had like my matching pajamas on and oh my god it's hilarious um it was amazing though and I didn't get through but the the thing that kind of boggled my mind when I was so young was but all of the judges said really nice things about me and I got three gold stars and it was like it's a public vote and I was like oh I didn't know that so it was a good kind of like 
learning curve for me and live telly and it was really fun um and then when I was at school um we had a CBBC program called School for Stars which was again a little bit more um insight into the filming kind of world because we had cameras and mics all over the place and you know if you were having a bad day which I did get if I did have a cry with a teacher they would be there at the door filming it and I was quite young to be like well why why are they there? And I and then I'd like shy away from it, but they'd want to see it. And you'd be like, why are you wanting to see me cry? <laughs> and that was like, because of the drama, they love it for telly. And it was an amazing experience. And they were really lovely, like the crew for being so young. I think they were there when I was like in year nine, 10, maybe eight, like, yeah, I think in year nine at slash 10. Um, but yeah, like I think it was the first boyfriend, proper boyfriend I ever had when I, I was in year 10. And they, they filmed that like all you know, so-and-so are, like, sitting t- sitting together, are they going out? And it was like, oh, my God. So to go through that, like, kind of on telly-ish was a bit daunting. Um, but it was it was actually a lot of fun. I don't, you know, the, the, main, the main bad memory I have, which only was literally the only bad memory I really had of the whole thing, because a lot of the time they just wanted to interview you and how do you feel, are you excited? And it was really, really fun to do, um, was when it was literally the most embarrassing thing I think I've done, or well, second most embarrassing thing I've done on stage, is I fell in a piece, got back up, I was fine, didn't think anything of it, ran off stage, started crying, I was in such a state, but they were like, we need to interview you, and I was like, I don't want to be interviewed right now, and they were like, we need to interview you, and my mum was there like, can you just, can you not, like, can you leave it, in the end, I had to like, calm myself down, and I had to do an interview on the stairs, and I was like, teary-eyed and red-faced, um, and then, <laughs> and then when it aired, it was replayed, and slow mode. And like a light over it. And I was like, are you actually kidding me? And I almost thought that was like the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, But to spin like a positive note on it, I now use it for my kids. And I say, you think I'm a success. You think I've been on telly and I'm a teacher and I have it together. It's far from it. (laughs) And I tell them about it and they're like, oh, so it's happened to you. I was like, it's happened to everyone. And you can get back up, brush it off and move on. And I try and use it in a positive way. Um, Yeah. And then the next step was just another ball game. It was amazing. It was insane. I was 16, went over to Canada with my mum and dad. You know, it was a proper successful still is successful tv program it's like BAFTA award winning and my dad always reminds me because he's like it's not a little thing Ella like you should be proud of that and I am and um we went over to Canada and they set up in like a set us up in an apartment and we had like lifts to the the sets and I was like what is this life I was like and the crew were amazing and the way that the cameras worked and the amount of people that you meet that are so welcoming especially in Canada is I was I was an English girl on a pro- on a program, they'd already run for three seasons. They all knew each other. They were all a little bit older than me. Mm-hmm. It was very daunting, and they couldn't have been more welcoming. Um, and that's the moment when I was like, I want to go more into TV and film. Yeah. I was like, I love this. I love the set. I love the feeling. I love the vibe. I love the behind the camera as well. I love sitting in the chairs and watching the screens. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and so far, that's been like. That's not been the highlight of my career. I've done so many other bits and bobs that have helped others that has been incredible. But that was like the turning point for me. Yeah. Um, and just being like, this is this is what, not, not what the height has been, but this is what it could be. And if it could get more, then I would just, this is what makes me happy. Yeah. And like, I think that's what people need to do is find their thing that makes them happy. Um, but I, I did that all quite young. So I think now if I ever get professional jobs, I've got so much experience that I have behind me that's such a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've done so many bizarre things as well that you would just be like telling the story and like that, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's all been amazing. It's all just been a bit of a whirlwind. I think I don't really ever reflect on it this much. So thanks because I don't remember it. <laughs> So you published a beautiful video um, of you dancing on your social media, um, stating that it had taken you almost 20 years to admit that you've suffered with depression and anxiety. Um, can you talk us through like why it took you 20 years? Um, admitting it to yourself is one thing, but also to announce it to kind of the world is another, especially when you've got such a large following. Yeah, so it's actually quite a big thing for me. Um, because I think for so long I was so ashamed and I was also so, um, I was like, it's not a real thing. I was like, you know, it shouldn't be a thing that I should struggle with. It shouldn't be, 
um, kind of taken care of because it's not a real problem because there's people in the world that have nothing. There's always this thing in my head that there's, there's children that are dying. Why do you care if you have a sad day? There's always this thing we playing in my head that it doesn't matter what I feel. And it, that's the thing that stopped me. And that's the thing that kept on going and keeps going through my brain. Now, if I have a bad day, I don't, don't just accept it. And I'm not just like, you're feeling like shit. You're feeling rubbish. So like, how can you make yourself feel better? Or, or it's okay, Ella, that's fine. You know, you're allowed to, you're human, which is a normal thing, way of thinking sometimes. But in my head, I was like, you have no right to. You're happy, you have a happy family. You have, my dad's been through a lot health-wise, which is a reason to be sad, but he's okay. Like, you know, there's people that have, have had loss, but then that would always be the case. It would be, who's worse off than me? I'm not that bad. So why should I, why should it matter what my mental health is? And, and I think it wasn't until until it really upset and affected my parents that I almost I'm not saying I did it for them because I think if you want to change your mental health and if you want to accept it and realize that you feel like it it needs to be for you because if it's not then it won't be genuine it will almost be like a fake through get it through so that you help your family or help your friends but my mum was like I can't help you anymore I'm really worried about you and I want you to go and see someone and I was like oh my god that's it, it just made me cry because I was like, the last thing I want to do is upset my mum. The last thing I want to do in my head was let her down or disappoint them by not doing what they think is best for me. Mm-hmm. So it was not, it wasn't a trick. She didn't like trick me into going to see someone, but I was like, do you know what? If my mum's that worried and if it's seriously affecting her, the the only thing I can do is try and take care of myself. And, and hopefully, I, th- I think you can't really fully take care of someone else. You can't fully love someone else. You can't fully give someone else your attention unless you take care of yourself and you love yourself because you then won't be giving them everything you can because you're constantly fighting this battle in your head. So it took me 20 years to even say it out loud that I suffer with depression. And even saying it now, I'm like, oh my God. Like I just said that, what the hell? <laughs> um, like it takes a lot out of you because you just think, do I have the right to? Do I have the right thoughts to? Do I have it, you know, do I have it severe enough to to say that? Do I have, can I claim that? Am I allowed it? Um, but then people have to realise that there's stages of it. You know, there's there's severe anxiety and severe depression, which people can't leave their houses, okay? And I might not be that bad. But then I have my days when I don't want to get out of bed, but I do, and that's the fight, and that's the strength, and that's where it comes from. And I think it it took me such a long time because of the opinion that I thought on it. I thought it was silly. So if you think it's silly, then, you know, if you say to your mum, I have depression or my sister, I have depression. If you think it's silly, well, they're going to think it's silly. So what's the point? And I was like, why do you think like that? And it wasn't until I went to speak to someone, genuinely went to actually have a conversation with someone. And I was like, I don't really want to be here. I was like, I don't really want to talk to you about how I feel. You're a stranger. So why should you care? And she's like, I'm only here so that you can talk at me and, and you can almost get these thoughts out into the open about how you feel um and I was like oh okay well okay have a little chat (laughs) and then throughout this chat she was like well it's not surprising you feel like that because of this and I'd be like oh god yeah and it'd be like oh I have I have a reason you know like when it comes to personal problems like I think people underestimate it's gonna sound really girly but people underestimate a breakup People underestimate that heart, that heartache. And especially in like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old girl. And then years later finding out something else that's tragic on top of it that happened. And it's like people forget how harrowing that can be on your brain. Because you're not just suffering with normal day anxieties like, oh, does my face look okay today? Oh, God, look at that spot. Oh, good luck. I'm having a bad hair day, which normal girls and humans do. You're almost suffering with the internal anxiety. And I think it... It is just a day-to-day struggle and I have to have like day-to-day, not check-ins, that sounds really cheesy, like, hey Ella, how are you doing? I'm great. It's just like, (laughs) it's just waking up in the morning and being like, what is my mood today and how can I do, what can I do to help, help me? And in the very beginning moving home, I was waking up, I mean, it's probably too personal um, (laughs) and information, but waking up in sweats and crying and being like, what the hell just happened in my sleep? And I literally got to one morning and I have dogs and my mum and dad went on and my mum and dad and my sister went on the walk and she was going to take on um, my niece with her and I was like no can I have her 
and I just sat with my niece and I had breakfast and I gave her breakfast and we had a cup of tea and watched a bit of telly and she made me laugh and I was like you are this pure little bean that has no idea and you literally brighten my day up and then after that I was like came back down to earth and I was like you had a bad dream you had a bad night but look at her face (laughs) and I was like she got me through it and then my my nephew Rory he's starting to speak now and on the days where I feel rubbish and he's like is Rory mine and you're like oh my god you're so cute (laughs) it's like I know people on my social media are like yeah we see them all the time but it's like they're they're the ones that keep me alive and my family they're the ones that keep me grounded and keep me safe and I think I'm not saying I owe everything to them you can't owe all of your success and all of your um kind of self-love to other people but it's a big part of it because if you loved yourself and you were like I'm amazing but no one agreed with you or no one was helping you with it Mm -hmm. it would almost I feel like it might cancel it out sometimes but then some people think that's all you need is your own self-love I think it's a balance it's a balance of who you surround yourself with and it's a balance of what you think on yourself but yeah one of my favourite actresses, Denise Gawk, I don't know if you've heard of her, she was leading People, Places and Things. And um, I was um, reading a, an interview with her um, and she said, you know, she was out of work for so long before People, Places and Things and she was like ready to give up and she went to this audition and she was like, yeah, this is my last one, I'm going to give it everything. And then she got it and she said, actually, um, when I look back, she was like, my nieces and nephews got me through it because she moved home, she, I think she moved in with her sister and like there was just this little bundle of hope and that's what got her through and I think it is so important like family or your dog like get you through it they get you through everything like it's yeah I actually cannot agree more um than everything you just said I have I've got quite a big family now like I have three siblings and my mum and dad and that's what it was for a very long time um now I have a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law and a niece and a nephew and we have like four dogs in the family. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you would call that, yeah, love dogs. And you would call that, you would you would call that a big-ish family, I suppose. Obviously people have bigger, but um, when it comes to dogs, it's like another ball game for me because it's like their love and their loyalty comes without reward. Like that's just honest. They don't, you know, yeah, you can give them treats and they might just want to sit on your lap so that you give them cuddles. But you know, who doesn't want cuddles? Like, and my my dog Daisy, like I <laughs> sounds so wanky. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not. But she literally she'll hear me come in the door, her tail will wag so hard and smile and I'll come over to her and I'll give her cuddles and I'll say cuddle and she nuzzles her noses into my neck. And it's like literally just makes me feel like I am loved by a dog and then my niece comes in and she's like boo and I'm like oh my god like it's just so it's so um warming yeah and I think I my mum always sends me a picture of the Oscar because she's like I believe you can do this and I'm like oh my god it makes me cry because I'm like I have days when I just don't think I'll ever succeed and then she's like you already have like you've done so much Ella like and I'm like it's not enough and she's like I don't know if it'll ever be so if you just appreciate what you have now um but I I owe a lot of my mental health and my acceptance into in my family and like when it comes to auditions it's so hard when you don't get things and it's so hard when you get auditions because you get you get that hope you get that oh my god I've got an audition then you get oh my god I've got an audition and it's like you get this wave of emotion in like one second but it t- just takes my sister, my sister Abs, when I got an audition recently. It was a really cool one. And she was like, you're going to be so amazing. I'm so excited for you. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. Like, she put that, like, excitement back into me because I'd lost it a bit. And then I was like, oh, I should be excited. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> but, yeah, everything to my four dogs, my niece, my nephew, my whole family is just... Uh, shout out to my family. But they're amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. I think as well... Um, dogs are great for people who suffer with depression because they are they're so loyal they know and I, even thinking back like when I had a horrendous breakup a couple of years ago I remember I came in and I was crying and I was in my bed and I just heard this like paw at the door and it opened up and it was my dog and he just he just wouldn't leave my side and I know it sounds for those who are listening to this who don't who haven't experienced having an animal or a dog as loyal as dogs <laughs> Kathy she's never experienced it they are they're such a huge part of the family and like even, even thinking about like elderly people who've lost someone and people say get a dog because they are their they're your company they're a companion they they have this amazing sense of 
just when things aren't right. And I think, yeah, like I owe so much to my dogs. Thank you, Archie. I love you. <laughs> I think um, so. A while back, um, second year of college, I had an accident. I um walked out to the middle of the road and I got hit by a motorbike and I had to go home because I was severely in shock and bruised. Nothing broken. I'm all good. I'm alive. Is this a yeah. I yeah. Yeah. It was it was awful. And um, just talking about dogs knowing in pain because my brother just recently got a little pug, a white pug called Gandalf the pug. Oh my god, he's amazing. Um. Gandalf, yeah, absolutely. And um, he was puppy, he was Diddy. But I went home and I had like a ballooned hand and I was feeling a bit like, oh God. Obviously I was, I'm not saying I was feel, felt sorry for myself. Obviously I had every right to be like in shock, but it wasn't like I'd broken or something happened. But I was feeling a bit like shallow and down and fragile. And I just sat on the floor and he was quite an energetic pup. And he just sat down and like snuggled next to me. And I was, I just cried because I'm a very sensitive gal. I'll cry at films and seeing dogs in the street um but, but literally sat there and like just looked at me and cuddled me and I was like oh my god I'm dying inside like it was just that that comfort of someone that you don't have to explain it to a dog as you said they could just tell and when it comes to depression if I have a bad day if I have a severe severe mental um day where I'm like I can't do this anymore there's literally no point I'll go into my parents they'll have the fire on they'll have a te- like series or a film on or whatever and I'll sit with Daisy and I'll cuddle with her and and I'll leave and I'll just be like, even if that's all I have for the rest of my life, that's more than some and that's less than some. But for me, that was like perfect yeah. and I don't need anything else. And I was like, I'm OK. I can do this. Yeah. So you have a, a lot of young followers. Do you feel a responsibility um, for the content that you make that they're going to be receiving, especially on things like Instagram, which, as we know, can be super toxic for young people? Yes, so much. And the responsibility isn't a burden either. I actually get excited about it. I get excited about helping the next generation, so to say. And I think what I share, I do have to be careful about, have to make sure my language right. And I have to make sure that what I say isn't putting the wrong message out there. But I think that's almost the exciting thing about it is that I get to really think about the posts that I put and the projects I do. And um, even just the project about Invictus Trust and admitting I had mental health. A lot of my kids were like, oh my God, I feel the same. And I was like, thank you, because admitting it to me and knowing that I can help and or finding other people that can is a massive thing and I think if I've got four, if I've got you know above 40,000 followers on Instagram and I can put a good message out there and help others if it ever grows or if I can you know maybe inspire other people that have a bigger following to do the same thing then these kids won't grow up with cyber bullies and trolls on Instagram and it will just be a self-love place and it should be used in such a positive way and it isn't in some cases and it's sad but if if I can change some kid's life if I can change a kid's life and I posted a video and she was like I'm going to save that for later and watch and listen to it when I feel down I was like that's just made my day because if I just help that one kid get through a day then that's me set for the day for making sure that we're helping the young kids rather than beat them down just going back to the post that you made, um, you stated in it that often you find yourself in a dance studio when you're at your lowest. Um, when I read that, it kind of really resonated with me because I think as a creative, especially in London, when you are doing so much, you forget how much happiness performing or dancing or singing a song or busting out a time step in your kitchen can make you feel. Um, so going off of that, what does expression, especially in dance, mean to you? So I think for me, I find myself in the studio when I'm down is because I I suffer with social anxiety sometimes more than not. If I'm in a room of people, if I'm in a room of people, I am I'm an actress, so I can put on a facade that I'm that I'm really easy to talk to but I suffer with saying the right things. I suffer with small talk. I'm like, oh God, it makes me feel really awkward. I get sweats, sweaty, sweaty hands. And I'm like, I don't like the situation. Um, and for me, when I was younger, I had it even worse because you can't communicate as much when you're younger because you don't have the vocabulary that you do when you're older or the experience with different people. So I used it as a way to express myself so like I would and everyone says it and everyone in the dancing industry probably feels the same that's why they do it they do say it's you know I get into the studio and I can just dance and I don't have to explain it and I can just be so when I'm in the studio and when I dance I 
have no inhibitions. I just do it. And whatever I'm feeling, it genuinely just comes out and translates through movement. And I know it sounds really contemporary. Um, but I think it means so much because it was such a period of my life where I lacked it and I lacked that communication. And I was like, you don't get it. People are not getting it. How can I make them get it and or understand? And it was, I think it was like one of the first times that mum saw me and my sister dance together we're like twins. She's six years older than me, but we just, we're sisters. So the way that we dance is so like glued together. She was like, you just go on a journey. And I think I'm the same. If I watch a performer that I'm like linked with, I'm like, oh my God, I get you. And I think when I was younger, I thought if people don't get me through talking, which I don't feel like I was good at, then maybe now I can, you know, communicate through dance and movement or for me, like, I'm not saying it's the same when it comes to acting. I love acting and it's a different thing because you almost have a facade with acting. You put on these characters and I love it again because you can be p other people or you can tap into different sides of you that you've never found before. Um, but when it comes to singing and, and dance, I think it's like I'll get in the studio, I'll dance for about an hour, I'll sing for about half an hour. In the end, I'm like, oh my God, I feel great because it's like releasing those endorphins and... And finding a different language for you. I think that's the thing. It's expressing your yourself through a different way. People, There's people out there that can't talk, so they express through sign language. There's people that can't see and they can't hear and they express through touch and there's a certain language that they have, which is a certain movement. It's all creative. Whatever um, disability or whatever thing you lack, you can always find it in another way. And I think my other way is dance and other people find their other way in other things, like through pictures, through photos, like photographers. I went through a stage of loving taking photos and I'm still, I still have my camera at home, but it's just a different way of expressing because you feel like you lack it in the muggle way. I'll find it in a creative way. And that's what helped me, I think, mainly through my whole life. So, as we've said, you're only 20. Um, you're pretty new to the industry, as we all are. Um, how do you hope to better your mental health within this industry? And what are you currently doing to better your mental health? I think previously um, to better my mental health was to accept it. And I think now that I've done that, in the future it will just be to continue accepting that if you feel like that you feel like that what can I do this is what I can I, this is what I can do and I think it's finding your people for me it's in the dance studio it's with my family it's it's actually explaining it to someone it's talking to people and it's almost sometimes you need to talk at people and then get it all out but some people find it best writing it down and going to other people and not talking to their family um but I think I will try and just try and not beat myself up so much. I'm so hard on myself. Too hard on myself that I just, it's exhausting. <laughs> and I think my mum just constantly reminds me to stop being so hard on yourself. And for her, she she guilt trips me and saying, imagine how hard it's for me. I don't want to see my daughter go through this. And I'm like, well, now you're making me feel bad. I won't I won't do it to myself, I'm sorry. So it's finding the right balance of, of accepting it, talking, finding your own people, finding the, the people that you can trust and talk to. Um, and, you know, when it comes to jobs, just keep on going. Understand that it's not always personal. Sometimes you just don't have long enough hair. Sometimes you don't have big enough eyes. And that's something you can't change. So now you need to start loving yourself for you and going for things that are suiting you so that you don't have to change for other people. You can adapt if need be, but being yourself and accepting and just stop beating yourself up. Yeah. <laughs> Love yourself. Yeah. Just on that note, um, so you're actually you're in London today. And you're filming tomorrow um, for a role that was actually created for you. Um, just chat to us quickly before we wrap up about that. Yeah, I'm actually super psyched about tomorrow because I haven't done filming in a while. So it's going to be firstly on that front, on the professional level. And I can't wait to get back in and on the filming side of it. But also having a meeting with Sarah about the part and about how she said I just saw you as it and everything that she was saying I was like I can relate to this so much we were on the phone and she was like does this make sense and I'm like more than you think and to have a a character who can relate who I can relate to so much is so refreshing because usually if I do a role it's be someone else and I love that because that's acting but sometimes if you have a if you have a role you're just like I click with this I'm I'm excited to do that and also to get out into the world and show people that it's something to not be ashamed of and that needs to be talked about more and it needs to be okay for people to talk about it. It needs to not be 
the avoided subject at the dinner table, it needs to be like, oh my God, we need to talk about that because it's interesting. It can be exciting to talk about mental health because of the, of how to overcome it and what you can do to make it better. It can be very very harrowing hearing people's stories about how much they've suffered, but then you also need to understand it's to help them rather than it being to bring them down. We all need to just start supporting each other. And I think that's what tomorrow is, is Sarah spoke to me and she was like, if it ever gets too much, we can stop. And it was just like, she gets it. Yeah. So I'm really excited and I can't wait to get back into the, the swing of it and on something that's so relevant at the very moment yeah. as well. Yeah. and we'll be sure to um to put it on our social media um and all over when it's released yeah. last question ella are you ready we ask it to everyone kathy's going to do the honor of asking it could you walk into a room today and say i'm having a bad mental health day Yes, I think I would be able to do that because it's nothing to be ashamed of and I think we all need to admit it. Yeah. Boom, girl. Okay, <laughs> we're going to play a game. Do you know, you can pick Scarlett up from across the room. She didn't even have the microphone there. <laughs> you can probably pick it up. We are going to play a game. We're going to play our finish the sentence. Well done. <laughs> so, when I wake up, I think about food. Oh, yes, girl. Me too, girl. My favourite thing to do is take my dogs for a walk. My pet hate is rude people. <laughs> In the future, I want to help others. Mental health to me is finding your people. My guilty pleasure is chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> I am grateful for my whole family. My favourite cleaning product is... Sif. <laughs> Sif. I always like to put a random one in there, don't we, Scarlett? <laughs> okay. Um, Ella, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so great to hear you chat. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Minds. We wanted to make our listeners aware of the services that we offer. We are lucky to have the support of our counsellor, Mary Birch. Mary offers a private telephone or Skype service 24-7 and completely free of charge. She's also holding one-on-one -on -one sessions at a creator-friendly price of £25, so if you are interested, please get in touch. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please hit the subscribe button. You can also rate and review us on Apple. We want to reach as many creatives as we can, and this isn't possible without ratings from our lovely listeners. Share, tell a friend, and please continue to spread the word, as it really could help someone. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you very, very soon. Bye.